Hello and welcome to Re-Energize. This is the place to discover more about emerging tech in offshore renewables and how we will meet our future energy needs. My name is Stephanie Mann, Innovation Manager at the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, the UK's leading research and innovation centre for offshore renewables. We connect agile technology developers, academics and industry players working to accelerate the UK's wind, wave and tidal energy sectors. Today we're talking about an important task we're facing in our fast-growing industry, ensuring our young people here in the UK, particularly in coastal communities, will have the right skills to lead its future. This is a topic that is close to my heart. By day, I work on disruptive innovation projects um, in hydrogen integration with offshore wind, airborne wind and space applications. But outside work, I run my own YouTube channel, Science with Steph, and I work on STEM engagement in local schools here in Glasgow. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Lorna Bennett and Jonathan Hughes, who also live this double life. Lorna, Jonathan, can you introduce your day jobs to the listeners and your own interests in the topic, please? I'm Lorna. I'm a mechanical engineer with the operational performance team, working with technology developers, innovators and academics on opportunities for testing and research on the ORE catapult Leavenmouth offshore demonstration wind turbine in Fife. I've been a STEM ambassador for over 10 years and now coordinate STEM activities with schools and events local to our sites in Scotland. Hi, my name is Jonathan Hughes. I'm the validation manager for the RE Catapult in Blythe. I've worked for uh, the organisation now for about 12 years. Through that time, I've worked on rather exciting tests of groundbreaking wind turbine components, blades, nacelles, as well as wave and other drivetrain components for the industry but also, like Lorna, have been working with um, schools in the local area through the STEM engagement that we do down here in Blythe, specifically with schools in the Blythe area and uh, further afield as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we all all come into this place from quite a similar background, that we all have been interested in kind of STEM subjects from quite a young age. Um, Do you want to go ahead and tell us what brought you on the STEM journey and why maybe science, technology, engineering and maths is important to you? I guess my experience of STEM at school uh, was nothing beyond the standard, you know, science and maths classes, but it was through art and design, actually, I discovered engineering, but it wasn't until fifth year of high school um, that I even remember having heard the word engineering before. And it was when my art teacher convinced myself and one of my classmates in fifth year to go to the Glasgow School of Art Open Day with him and the final year students that was the day I discovered engineering in the form of product design engineering and it was just absolutely crazy is how I remember it. It was so creative and just combined my my love of art and design but also uh, my interest in sciences in a way that I didn't think was going to be possible when I'd started looking at other university courses thinking of what subjects I wanted to take for my final year. So I kind of discovered engineering totally by accident which is why I'm such an enthusiastic STEM ambassador now, because I feel like I almost missed out on the chance to do engineering and the excitement that's come from that. um, And I want other students to know that this is an option and that it is such a wide and varied potential career. It's funny because whenever I used to do those, what would your ideal job quizzes be at school? I hated it because I enjoyed everything. I enjoyed the music and the drama 
and the languages, but also the science and the maths as well. And I always, always said that the one job I absolutely didn't want to do was be an engineer. <laughs> and <laughs> the only reason I had this was because um, the only engineer I knew was my dad and love him to bits, but he never made his job sound interesting. Even though I'm really interested in how things work and always wanted to kind of take things apart and learn how they work, I just, it didn't occur to me at all that that's what engineers do. <laughs> that makes make me the odd one out because I guess I, I kind of did start out thinking that I wanted to do that. I, I wanted to do something where you could take it apart and put it back together again and apparently that's not good in medicine. So engineering probably was the choice of subject um, for me. I remember when I was little, maybe five or six years old, they were replacing the transformer at the bottom of our road. Uh, it was the summer holidays and I just sat and watched what they were doing and, and somebody came over and explained uh, what it did and, and how that worked. And I think that kind of engagement that you get uh, through just people who love their job and want to talk about it is so important. That's it's, amazing. Uh, inspiring inspiring people and also taking that chance they probably shouldn't have been doing that probably having like a six-year-old working around a crane now it doesn't really doesn't really meet any health and safety standards these days <laughs> that leads us on to an interesting question actually of how do you think stem engagement and those sort of experiences that you had as a kid how do you think they're different now you know what kind of opportunities do you think kids have now and how can we kind of improve that i think there's uh, so much that we do now that is is limited sometimes by people's fear of what can happen. I think probably when I was at school, you were kind of allowed to be set free and you could get on and explore something. And as long as you didn't lose a body part or, or kill yourself or anyone else, then it was okay. I think now there's a little bit more worry, perhaps quite rightly so, that, that people might get hurt in some of the things they're doing. And that makes people reluctant to help out. So I think it's really important more than it was perhaps when we were young that volunteers are available to go and help out be inspiration but just let people explore and and know how to safely retain people within boundaries of uh, of safety but also let them explore and i think someone described it as don't stop someone from falling but be there to catch them when they do and uh, and and maybe that's the the role how the roles changed a little bit uh, since we were younger Interesting, because I would say that in terms of the, the STEM activities that I've been involved with and the, the organisations I've tried to, to work with to you know, help us get involved in events, particularly around Glasgow and our site in Leavenmouth, um, is there's so many more opportunities for STEM projects than I ever have remembered or experienced at school, and that, that there's just in a sense, there's, there's too much now in some senses because teachers are really overwhelmed with knowing which projects to get involved with or where to start. Um, so what I've tried to do with setting up the STEM club in, in Glasgow in particular is work with these already existing organisations and use what resources they already have or if schools are already engaged in a programme, just be there to support them, to see them through it. Um, because there's there's just there's so many options and so many different types of STEM projects these days. I absolutely agree. I think we all have the entire history of knowledge in our pockets daily. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that's changed from when that when any of us were in school is that kids, I would feel personally, kids these days are a lot more informed and 
readily access information than we ever did. And a big part of STEM and engaging young people is kind of how to keep that curiosity, how to engage with information kind of the most efficiently and, you know, how to also equip teachers because you know, you say that there's all these resources for teachers and teachers are overwhelmed, but also teachers are constrained by resources. Teachers only have a certain number of time. They only have a certain amount of, you know, money that they can spend on things. And so being able to kind of support teachers and parents as well with what to learn and how to engage kids is kind of really important, not just putting the information out there, but, but the tools as well, I think is really important. I think as well that sometimes you can have the best resources available you can have all of that but you still need the passion to try and drive that forward so if there's a the good thing about the range of, of things is there's probably something there to excite you and a way of delivering it which excites you but if there isn't I think that can be really hard if you're trying to teach a a, a technology-based subject yeah I think that's a, that's a really key point actually I've recently started working with the teacher training course at Glasgow University on a specific module on STEM teaching and we've been developing the course over the last two months um, and trying to now develop those resources into online learning to teach teachers about um, the basic things you can do around wind turbines and how you can tie that back to the curriculum and um, focusing particularly on the idea of floating wind so you can add in more aspects of that and you know relate it back to um, buoyancy and uh, other simple challenges that can be graded from really low school to high school and linking it all back to the curriculum and explaining as simple as possible these factors and then giving them a build project so that they can see how fun and interesting it can be and then then translate that back into the classroom when they start their placements. Yeah I, I think as well as taking taking concepts which they have to teach taking um, things that they they try and explain using what sometimes can appear to be old-fashioned you know using Newton's cradle to explain simple harmonic motion or a transfer of energy or actually if you can take them and show them you know one of our wind wind turbine blades we took them outside onto the 88 meter blade that we have just you know just lying around in our car park and um, we're able to show them you know the idea that you can put a very small force in but at resonant frequency you can get this thing really moving and you can't stop it with your hands you know start it with your fingertips and and that makes it so much more realistic that people understand the forces that are involved with turbines and how big these things are and that then again sort of feeds into this magnitude thing that, that people see how big everything is you know wind turbines can look like that thing that's on horizon that's about the size of a cup you know but actually it's just a long way away that's one of the key things for engaging people not just young people in the wonders of kind of engineering and science is giving people a sense of the scale um, and i think especially when we work in something like offshore wind where the turbines are inherently f far away from the shore, so you can never really tell how big they are. Um, but telling someone, you know, one of these blades is the length of a football pitch, or the tallest turbine that we're making is as tall as the Eiffel Tower, you know, it kind of people always go, oh wow, that's 
that's really big. It strikes that awe into people in terms of the size of things that we're working with. And even myself, you know, I've worked in offshore wind now for about six, seven years. And when I saw that, you know, casual blade that we have lying around, I was even surprised at how flexible it was that you can find that resonant point and and move it you know a considerable amount of bend it a considerable amount just with one finger essentially I was I was really amazed and it is so important to get those kind of hands-on practical experiences to to get a feel for the, the size of these things and I always like to emphasize as well as that the number of different of it people of expertise that are involved in these things. So like a single wind turbine blade, you've got the aerodynamics engineers that have maybe designed the shape of it and the, the simulations engineers that have had to run all the analysis on it. Then you've got the materials engineers who have actually developed the composites and the layers and how the actually physical thing needs to be made. And then you've got the manufacturing engineers who actually need to make it. So you've got all these different skill sets and there's hundreds of people involved at every stage of every component. You sort of forget how many different jobs from loads of different backgrounds you need for any sort of big scale project. And actually, I think that brings us really nicely onto the sort of second area that I think is really important to talk about is diversity in STEM and what kind of responsibility we have to reach out to engage with and encourage people of different um, genders, races, and, and especially kind of economic backgrounds and bring them into science and, and engineering. So what, what thoughts do people have on this sort of the diversity question? Taking perhaps the socioeconomic background question first, it's about examples, isn't it? It's about um, two things, really. It's about showing that you don't have to be you know, at the best school, you don't have to be from a rich family, you don't have to have amazing life experiences by the age of eight to become an engineer. You don't need to have all of those things to to take you forward. Um, and more importantly, that you don't need to start um, by doing your GCSEs, your A-levels, or the equivalent in Scotland, and then going to university, getting a degree and going through that route, that classic route is just one entry point into engineering and that, that you might want to, to go through and, and take an apprenticeship either at 16 or at 18. You might want to get some experience built up that way. And that, that is not just the alternate route. It's a completely credible and actually has advantages in comparison to the, the sort of zero hands-on experience route that, that a direct graduate entry has there's a really diverse set of way of getting into the industry and that sometimes that's not um, promoted, which also serves to, to turn people off who perhaps are worried about the cost of university. They're worried about not being able to be away from home for, for reasons if, if they're carers or if they're doing other things that uh, mean that they, they need to work or whatever, that, that actually there are routes into the industry. It isn't a barrier anymore. I think that's very well said. Science is a very accessible attainable path and, and engineering especially is because you know a lot of people say oh I'm I'm no good at this I'm no good at maths or whatever so I can't do it it's not just about having the academic prowess it's about having that curiosity and how do we how do we nurture that especially in schools that maybe are really resource constrained and with kids who maybe have 
um, really turbulent backgrounds and, and parents who both parents are working or single parent households and stuff where there just isn't the, the time or resource to encourage kids at home as well as at school as well. Do we have a duty or responsibility to kind of address that gap and, and how should we, we be addressing this gap? Well, one of the things when I when I'm talking to schools and things, I always try and emphasise exactly that point that that Jonathan made. You know, you don't have to go to university to be an engineer or be in the renewable energy industry. You don't even have to be an engineer to be in the renewable energy industry. And you know, I was quite good academically at school, so I was encouraged to go to university. But had I known at that time that an apprenticeship might have been an option. I was like building things and was always involved with my dad in the DIY and things. I might have gone down the route of an apprenticeship if I'd known that was an option. Um, and you've obviously got colleges and as Jonathan's already said, you can do like vocational learning as well. If you get a, a job that gives you the opportunity to learn on the job that's not necessarily an apprenticeship. Um, I know in particular that there's some of the universities, specifically Strathclyde and Glasgow, they've got programmes in place where they tra- they have summer schools for children from maybe less advantaged backgrounds who are really interested in science and engineering but maybe didn't quite get the grades due to a number of reasons. And they can go to summer school and get into their, their degree programmes that way if they want to. Or, I mean, even one one of our colleagues has come through the the engineering academy at Strathclyde University, which is to try and capture those people that again maybe didn't get quite quite the right grades at school to go straight into a degree, or you know they've maybe discovered engineering later. In this particular case, their maths teacher told them they were no good at maths and they would never have a career with anything to do with maths. So they went away and started a degree in something that they didn't enjoy very much dropped out quite early on and then was lost for a couple of years doing something else entirely before discovering uh, engineering and then going through the engineering academy which was a a very well structured program of college leading into degree program at university without having to spend a huge amount of extra time um, doing that course because obviously you know three, four, five years of your time studying, if you're not keen on studying, is a really long time. So if you don't enjoy studying, but you do enjoy the practical side of it, then, you know, an apprenticeship or a vocational um, role is definitely right. I totally agree. And I want to pounce on what you said earlier about, you know, girls especially being put off masks because it's not seen as, like, really girly. It's seen as quite a masculine thing. And I wonder, there's, there's a quote that I've heard quite a lot recently about you can't be what you can't see I I thought it might be worth kind of talking a little bit about how important it is to be a role model to budding scientists or engineers um you know as a female in STEM I think you know think about diversity more widely as well like how important is it to make sure that we have people reaching out to young people who are role models and what kind of responsibility do we have to kind of promote that? Yeah, the, the role models uh, issue has been a, has been a big thing over the last few years. In particular, I've, I've become aware of it. Obviously, the, the IET run a campaign for the Young Women Engineer of the Year, and the, the purpose of that campaign is to find female role models to you know show to to schools and to show to children to say, look, there are you know women engineers. They have previously been written out of history in the past, but the 
Women's Engineering Society celebrated their centenary, their 100th anniversary last year. And off the back of that, there was a huge campaign to bring those women from history into the public view. And they've been producing Wikipedia pages for women that have been forgotten in history. And some of the, the WES members have done incredible uh, work with these Wikithons and the research trying to bring these women forward and give them the credit they were due that they've been denied for all these decades. And at the moment, we have a massive campaign from the Women in Science and Engineering Society WISE, who are focusing on the one of the million campaign because it was announced that in the last six months, we now officially have a million women working in engineering and technology industries uh, roles in, in, in the UK. And they're trying to bring those million women into this campaign to hold them up as role models as well. So one of the one of the other organisations I met over the last uh, year and a half, working with the IET from the, the Young Women Engineer of the Year Awards, is the the Association for Black and Ethnic Minority Engineers. They have a, a London base and an Aberdeen base, and they seem to be a, an excellent organisation helping in bring young black and ethnic minority students through university and helping them uh, you know with work and employment things as well and they do a lot of stem engagement too and um, so you know there, there are loads of organizations out there and i think what i've tried to do through the stem initiatives that i've developed is link up all these organizations and you know not try and reinvent the wheel but you know support everybody to try and drive these role models and create that diversity and that you know wider voice rather than you know me trying to come up with a new idea that somebody's already done you know 10 hundred other times as well so one of the things that i've heard from some of the students that we've talked about who are maybe the year sort of applying for university some of the schemes that are in place can make you feel as if you're being uh, discriminated against positively, but that that makes you feel that potentially you're the person uh, who's there because you're a woman. And that absolutely isn't the reason they want to be there. They want to be, say, a physicist and a woman, not the woman physicist. And so when people are setting up these schemes, I guess they've got to be careful that they don't disenfranchise the people they're trying to engage with by by giving them a hard time later on that that you know that feeling that you're the quota filler or that that's never going to be the right thing to feel it's got to feel natural and right uh, to do that job i couldn't agree more like i think um black people females people from different economic backgrounds um are absolutely capable of being very very good physicists very very good scientists and should be credited on their merit and their merit alone um, and i think it's so important to give people that opportunity to showcase that merit and quota filling and stuff um has good intentions but maybe doesn't actually it's not fit for purpose and i think there are other ways of actually kind of making sure that everyone is on that equal footing by by raising up the superstars no matter what your background is but there have been times that you know as as a woman in STEM I have felt that people think I'm there to fill a quota or have felt that myself maybe it's from my own kind of insecurities or that I've been asked to talk at something more based on my gender than my own skill set in a particular area um, but I think if we can find people who are very skilled at at what they do then we can absolutely showcase them for their outstanding skills i think it's really important 
And I think that all still comes back to the, that central STEM discussion in schools that you, you need to be able to show because actually the lack of diversity is there because there is a lack of diversity now and that's what people see. And so if we don't do something about making it um, more visible, um, that actually people can do their roles, that there are roles in there. It's not just the ones that you see on the box, if you like, there's more inside. And, um, mm-hmm. and STEM has the power to do that, especially as you were saying, Lorna, in, in the renewables industry at the moment, it's a really wide sector. There, there's everything from ecologists and marine biologists and um, surveyors, civil engineers, electrical engineers, all of the, the breadth of, of knowledge across all sectors in all work, workplaces as well, that they're not all um, in an office, they're not all physically outside, they're not all sort of traveling around. There's a whole uh, breadth of things and that actually, no matter what your circumstances, there are roles to fit your unique conditions. Yeah, and I think it's it's really good to talk about the renewable energy industry specifically because I've had a bit of a, a wide and varied uh, career path uh, to this point. Um, and my experience of the, the offshore renewable industry compared to the other industries I've worked in is that it's still a very young industry by comparison. And actually, we have a very young and diverse workforce by comparison. It seems that a lot of the old stereotypes and the old, oh, this is the way it's always been, doesn't exist in the same extent as potentially the oil and gas or the construction or other industries. I think that's um, a really good point. And actually, I think as part of a company that we have, you know, quite a lot of young people and stuff, I thought it would probably be good to spend a little bit of time kind of showcasing actually what we do at ORE Catapult, because this is an ORE Catapult sponsored podcast. Let's dig ourselves up a little bit. (laughs) Um, So uh, Lorna, do you want to tell me more about the STEM club that you mentioned earlier that you started up in in Glasgow? Yeah, so I had the idea after attending a STEM ambassador event um, back in October 2017 and in 2018 I successfully applied for a a grant to the Royal Academy of Engineering um, Ingenious Public Engagement awards to buy a series of classroom style STEM kits. So we got some wind turbines that can be used to demonstrate um, power generation with and get children to play with the number of blades. But the main purpose of the grant was to set up this STEM club with some local primary schools that had been pointed to us as areas of interest from the, the STEM learning um, science connects being the West of Scotland hub um, due to either areas of low engagement or no engagement through them. And we made contact, we managed to set up uh, meetings uh, with three of the schools, three of the four we'd been trying to speak to. And we actually managed to set up a program with the three schools to suit the schools and what the teachers wanted best to suit what they were trying to teach in the curriculum. So we worked together with the teachers, uh, managed to marshal a a small army of STEM ambassadors, I think there's 22 on the list now, and managed to try and coordinate so that people could go to as many events a year 
that they wanted to and try and spread them out so that it wasn't all at once and um, that they weren't taking too much time away from their work to do that and trying to coordinate what activities people were comfortable with delivering, what activities people would maybe like to run, you know, pre-trial of before they went to make sure they, they got the best out of it. But um, what a lot of people have said as well is you can plan an activity as well as you like before you go to a school but the kids will always direct you in the direction that they want to go in and it never goes to plan but it always works out fun. I mean that's part of the joy of working working with young people right is um you every day is a school day for us and for them so. Jonathan what about um the work that we're doing around Blythe as well do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Down at the Blythe site, we obviously have some some fairly impressive, and and I think awe inspiring being the right word, um, facilities. So we've we've had some engagement um, through groups organised, but on a port wide basis. So the site in Blythe sits um, amongst the port of Blythe. Um, in fact, between two of their harbours, uh, and they have been really good um, at working with ourselves and some of the other. Um, key tenants to try and develop a um, a STEM set that works for the whole of the port. And as part of that, we got involved with something across uh, the whole of the Blythe site. So we were looking um, from the training services hub at South Harbour all the way through to, to facilities north of us. And we had around 200 children go through over the course of a day, all of them getting an experience of the individual um, individual organizations uh, way of working meeting engineers from those people um, but also we do some more detailed work with uh, individual schools so we are as part of the northeast local enterprise partnership we're linked with the northumberland church of england academy in ashington as a enterprise advisor so we have really quite strong links with that school but also um, lead academy which is this, one of the schools very local to our site in blythe We've hosted um, quite a number of work experience students now from um, what we would call year 10 and year 12. So just before uh, uh, the year before GCSEs and the year before A-levels so that they can get a taste and see really what engineering is. And, and one of the things that we're famed for is not giving people an easy time during that, that we want to give them that taste because we find that the, you know, that little bit of stress that they might get by having to answer questions. One of the things we do is at the end of their week with us, we will have them come and uh, present to other engineers. Um, and often uh, the director down here in Blythe will, will come and ask questions and uh, they get that little bit of adrenaline. But actually I think that's what excites them and it, it, it helps cement um, that thought in their minds. But we're also involved with the Blythe STEM Hub, which has reached out to about 350 young people um, in STEM sessions that they've run. Um, engaging around about 120 teachers that have been involved in professional development sessions, um, directly working with 12 of the local schools uh, to provide STEM teacher advisory sessions, and also trying to get some of the other companies. Um, so around about 45 employers or stakeholders are engaged with the hub. So it's not just us. We've been able to, to bring in other people that are that are based around the Blythe area because otherwise it just looks like it's one company saying it's really cool. But actually when they realize there's lots of companies around here, it's a good place to find secure employment in a company which cares about you and wants to develop you further. I think that's a really important message to get out to people if they're from a, a background which 
might mean that they don't think they would be nurtured by their workplace. So we also have our Leaving Mouth demonstration turbine over in Fife and we have a close partnership with Leaving Mouth Academy based there. We sponsor a STEM teacher who is responsible for STEM activities within the high school but also dissemination um, down to the primary schools in the local area. So a lot of the senior pupils in the high school are now uh, STEM ambassadors to the primary schools that are going to be feeding into the in the high school and then they're also linked quite closely to the college which is on the same campus next door as well so we've been to visit the school a few times now with the the vr headset and it's usually the the physics and technology classes we try and get demonstrations for um throughout the whole school so the early years as well to try and convince them to take sciences when they're going into the middle school and then try and convince them to stay in the sciences in the upper school as well and we've also had a couple of trips with the technology students down to actually see the turbine as well and um, talk about the the turbine on site and see just how big it is because they see it from up on the hill and as Jonathan was saying earlier it looks quite small when you're that far away but when you're standing at the bottom of it um, quite a few people get dizzy looking up at it <laughs> from that, the, that the thing board. never looks small <laughs> <laughs> but Steph you mentioned at the start about your YouTube channel tell us more about that uh, yeah so this is not sponsored by ORE Catapult but I do it in my spare time I very much have the opinion that um, enjoyment or curiosity about science starts at home and also realise that young people these days spend most of their time consuming content online um, and on YouTube. So um, I have a very small YouTube channel where I make kind of entertaining educational videos online um, kind of usually focused around young people's movies and books and TV shows and inject a little bit of kind of humour and science into there. So uh, I'm currently making a video on... Um, scientific names for animals that have been named after the Harry Potter series <laughs> so there's a crab named after Harry Potter and various dinosaurs named after different dragons and lots of Aragog spiders so so it's fun it's fun and engaging and I think um, it's something that if anyone ever has a little bit of kind of spare time or interest you know there's so much blogs and writing and stuff that you can do online even outside of work I think it's one of the the most important things is for us to have uh, a diverse and educated population workforce. It's probably one of the most important things you can do is engage people in, in what interests you about science and engineering. Lorna and Jonathan, thank you so much for taking part in today's episode. It's time to de-energise now until next time. In the meantime, listeners can find more news on renewable energy at ore.catapult.org.uk and follow us at orecatapult.